I was sick Thursday and Friday, just with some stomach stuff. Um, just had a very busy, busy week, and that tends to happen, but even maybe more busy than, than usual. And I lay down to take a nap, I think it was yesterday, and as I lay down to take a nap, I start thinking about today, and I think to myself, okay, Lord, <laughs> what do you want to say tomorrow? What do you want to say to people? And this is typically my process. And uh, I kind of had the thought, well, here I am again. Like, I don't want to come to you just so I could get something for somebody. And I thought, well, why not? <laughs> why can't I tap into the heart of the Father and say, what do you want to say? Well, it turned out that um, there was nothing at the moment specifically that he said to me that I was to give. But as I was laying there in bed, I started thinking about some things. Um, and just, I would call it uh, introspection. I was just kind of weighing my heart and weighing my thoughts. I tend to try and do this often. Um, I think about my attitudes, the way I've been feeling and, and that kind of thing. And so I'm laying there. I want to go to sleep, but I've got these things going in my brain, things that I'd not want to, I'd not wanted to think about, but I realized, okay, I'm going to have to weigh these things in order for me to actually get some rest, I suppose. And what I did was I just opened my, my phone and I had a very simple thought, um, and I was thinking about just the process that we walk through as believers in Christ. And I've, I've uh, preached a sermon before, and if you, if you weren't here for it, maybe look it up on, on our YouTube channel, but it's called A Glorious Destiny in Christ. And when I talked about this, this glorious destiny that we have is that Scripture promises us that as we are in Christ, that our destiny, we've been predestined in him before the foundations of the earth to be conformed to his image. And so our lifetime is the working out of this process so that on that day, on the Lord's day, we will be presented as holy and blameless without blemish. And for me, oftentimes it's hard to actually grasp and believe for myself, much less believe it for my spouse or the people around me. And I can tell you that there are times where, um, I've put it this way, I'm a bit bipolar with understanding the, or yeah, I'm a bit bipolar with experiencing wrath towards people and experiencing nothing but grace and love towards people. There are times where I'm just so angry at people. How could you be this way? How are you so foolish? How are you so ignorant? How are you so evil? How are you so mean? You people are hopeless, right? But then I look at myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm the same way. And then I swing to love and I'm like, gosh, we just all need Jesus. <laughs> we just all need grace over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And what I'm realizing more about this life and even myself is that, and I've heard people put it this way before, that we see people's highlight reel and we want that to be the normal, the normal day in and day out situation for our lives. 
We see the good things that people do. We see what we see as righteousness or holy or good or successful. And we want those things to be part of our everyday life. And we don't see the behind the scenes of what people are experiencing. We want the success without the work. Or we want the resurrection without the death. Right? And so I just realized more and more about myself that, that I'm in process. We're all in process. We're all processing. The Lord is changing us. He is sanctifying us. He's taking all of the stuff that isn't in alignment with the image of who we're being conformed into, and he's bringing the discrepancy. He's closing the gap of the discrepancy. I used to think about like the Jason that I wanted to be and the Jason I am now, and it's like, well, how do I get there? And oftentimes they're trying to will that forth. And well, if I could do this, this, and that, well then, right? And I think there's something to be said about discipline. Um, I think there's something to be said about partnering with the Lord in the process, but not trying to will forth this person now. And accepting that I'm in process and that the Lord will work these things out in me. And so I have... Lots and lots of grace for myself in my process, but oftentimes that doesn't translate into grace for others in their process, right? We show grace for ourselves when we mess up, right? We judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. I've said this before. And so as I'm thinking about this whole process thing, um, the question for me came up, this question, it says, what if I was for and not against? And just thinking about people. Because obviously the Lord was dealing with something in my heart and everything that I'm talking about today is stemming from what the Lord was dealing within myself. And I just began to type out these thoughts. And, and so what I'm talking about today is just kind of a, I'm walking you through my thought process and the Lord has given me some scripture and some supporting statements and some things to fill that in. But the majority of what we're talking about this morning is just kind of the thought process that I had as I was thinking about myself and what if I was for people and not against people, because I have a problem. And my problem is that I hold people to too high of an expectation. And it's not that I don't believe that people can live up to expectations. It's that I have, I have put people under a burden of unrealistic expectation. We've talked a little bit about this in our marriage group and unmet, unspoken, and unrealistic expectations. But here's the thing. I allow things that people do and don't do to really bother me sometimes. Uh, most, most of the time it's annoying, but I have given power over to, to situations and expectations that if they are met or unmet will determine my level of joy and the amount of peace that I steward in my relationships. Does that make sense? Religion, right? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. And so I have given power over to those things so that if something's not in line, well, then Jason's not in line. If my expectation goes unmet, well, then I'm not okay. And I had a situation where um, 
I was telling Kim, I put it this way, I had a Pharisee fit. <laughs> I had a religious fit. Because someone didn't act in accordance to what I thought, how I thought they should act. And I got angry. Like religious Pharisee angry. To the point that I began to weaponize scripture. Here's what I'm going to say and here's how I'm going to respond and I have the scripture for it, and I'm right, and they're wrong, and if they don't come into alignment, hmm. And I just thought, what in the world is going on in my heart? It was ugly. It was probably the ugliest thing I've, I've seen come out of myself in a long time. And so I was thinking over this, this situation, and, and I thought, you know, what if I was for and not against? What if I was a friend and not a foe, an advocate and not an adversary. Because I can either be for people or I can be against them, right? And so I just did a little list here. I said I could be for success, I can be for impact, I can be for growth, for joy, for maturity, for fruit. I can be for you, right? And that's what I desire. I want to, um, I want to be for people. I don't want to be against people. And I feel like when I'm setting expectations for people and expecting them to live and act and breathe and do certain things a certain way all the time, and they're constantly failing to meet the expectations that I've placed on them because they're impossible to meet, well, then I'm miserable. Why have I given power to that? And I thought, look, what if I just, this is called repentance. What if I just changed my mind? And I just look around at the people in my lives, and I just realized no matter what they do or what they say or how they act, what if I'm just for them? What if I never place myself in the position of being an adversary, which means I'm against them? And too often in, uh, in marriages, spouses assume the adversarial position of the other spouse, which means we think there are spouses against us. When they disagree with something that we've done or we've failed to meet some sort of expectation, somehow that automatically blows up into, you don't love me, you don't respect me, you don't honor me, you don't want to be with me anymore, you wish you had somebody else, whatever it is, it just kind of blows up and then, and then there's this wedge that comes in and that we become adversaries. And one of the things we've been talking about in marriage group is we have to just come to the conclusion and understand and know and trust that our spouse is for us. But I began to think about that, and I'm like, why am I always holding people to expectations, and then I'm miserable all the time because they're always failing to meet them? What if I'm just for them? What if I'm just for your growth? What if I just say that? What if, what if you do something I disagree with? I look in Scripture. I can see that what you have done is wrong, but rather than use the Scripture as a weapon to beat you down because you probably already know you're wrong, Right? We're just exacerbating the situation. I was talking to, to um, now let me just say there's a proper way to use scripture, but I was talking to Brian earlier and I was just saying, you know, it's like most of the time people are, we are highly aware of our flaws and our faults and our shortcomings. And oftentimes we live in shame and guilt because we've not been able to conjure the ability to change and so we live in fear and guilt and shame so that we're not real with people by any means. And we put on a mask and we put on a facade and we only kid ourselves, right? 
We only kid ourselves. Who are we kidding? We're all broken. We're all busted. We all need more Jesus. We all need change from the inside out. We all need grace. We all need love. We all need kindness. We all need it. Let's, let's just all admit, let's level the playing field. We all need Christ. We all need each other, right? We need love and kindness. Like let's, let's take off the mask. And so what happens is we carry this stuff around and then in the name of love, we put, we remind people of what's right and what they should be doing. And in the name of love, we crush more. And that can be, it's a, it's a fine line. It's a difficult thing. Well, you're just telling me what I already know and I already know that I should be doing this and I can't change it. And you reminding me really isn't doing anything to help me change it. It's only reminding me of how terrible I am. So now I feel more terrible and you did it in the name of love, right? I'm not saying everybody's guilty of this, but we do this and we're trying to help. So with all that said, I want somehow, some way in my heart for the Lord to change me so that I'm more for people than I am against them. Um, I want to read just a, uh, a quick quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, those who are not looking for happiness are the m- most likely to find it because those who are searching forget that the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others. <laughs> Podcast? Oh, did you hear that? Yeah! So he's basically saying, look, like it goes back to being selfless, right? I want my world to look a certain way and exist a certain way. We all know this. It's a control thing. It's a religion thing in my heart. Um, And the Lord is, he's brought that up. And man, I've been dealing with some of this ugliness for the past year and a half, two years. Like for the, for me to look around and point the finger and say, people are, people are religious. And then the Lord says, no, you're religious. (laughs) And when I say religious, I mean like law, right? Expectation on people that we know they can't live up to, to the point to where we're not loving and patient and kind towards them. We're just, right, pointing the finger and then not looking at ourselves. So it boils down to giving ourselves away and we're dying to self. And when we die to self, others receive that sacrifice in our given life, right? That's what Jesus did for us, uh, Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Jesus died for us. And the life that we have, or Paul said it this way, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. The life I live, I live in faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Jesus is the example of sacrifice. He's the example of death so that life will come, right? I just want to make the statement that living in a way that people always fail to meet your standards and expectations is a miserable way to live. And I've, I've done that. I've done it, and it's miserable. It's miserable. And that's living in such a way that you're failing. I've failed to give grace and love and kindness where grace and love and kindness were the things that really needed to be given. And so I kind of just was working through this process again and writing down some of these statements, and I just want to share some of them. 
And one of them is this, unlimited grace for you from God requires unlimited grace from you for others. In the same way that God gives us unlimited grace as we live out this process and as we, in our flesh, if we're living by the flesh, are continuing to fail to meet his expectations, right? Because we, we don't live like that anymore. We live in the spirit. In Christ, in Christ, we have met the standard of righteousness because of what he's done for us. It, it's called substitutionary atonement, right? He died in our place. He, was, he substituted for us on the cross where we, de- we, we deserved to die for our sin. We deserved punishment. We deserved to be paid the wage of sin, or death for our sin, Jesus, through substitutionary atonement, he took our place. And so now we're in him and we are righteousness in Christ, right? We are the righteousness of God in Christ. But oftentimes we slip into the flesh mentality, mindset on the flesh is death. And we slip, we slip and we mess up and we don't, we don't act perfectly all the time. And there's unlimited grace for that. We approach the throne and we receive it every time we need it, right? And I've said this before. One time I was praying and I just said, Lord, you know, you said that I can approach your throne. I I just, I need that all the time. (laughs) It's not just once. It's not just twice. It's a lifetime of receiving grace from the one who gives it freely and unlimited. Paul said that he has displayed his immense grace, his immense, his great grace immeasurable grace for me. And so as we receive that grace, us receiving that requires that we give it away. And so I would ask this question, and this is what I asked of myself. I said, Jason, have you truly tapped into the heart of the Father when you hold grudges, unforgiveness, and bitterness? Is that the heart of the Father? Do I really understand the heart of God if I'm still harboring those things? If I... Truly, and here's, here's, what's hap- here's what happens. I call this the point of grace. Isn't there a, there was a, a, a singer or a group called Point of Grace, right? This point of grace where in my prayer and in my thoughts, I'm thinking, I'm contemplating, I'm going to the Lord, I'm coming, I'm guilty, God, I have shame, I'm sorry, I sinned, I you know, should have done this and shouldn't have done that. God, you know, I'm here And then I get to that point of grace where from that place of grace flows worship and then the power to extend grace to those who need it because I've been given it. I'm a reflection. And as God, he he shines grace on me, I should be and I will because of the fruit that he bears in me, I should shine grace out towards others. And so if that's not happening, I then have to start to ask the question, well, what am I doing and what do I really believe? And what are you trying to show me here? Scripture says that we, uh, in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I'm not going to go too, too deep into that, but in, our Lord, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us as we forgive others. With the same kind of forgiveness we, uh, we receive, we give that same forgiveness. Scripture says, judge not lest you be judged. And then it says, with the same measure that you judge others, it will be judged unto you. And so with the same level of standard and expectation that you place on others, 
just expect that that same measure and standard will be placed on you. And so if you judge others as unworthy or sinful or wrong based on those expectations and you fail to meet them yourself, you also are wrong, even though somehow you've put yourself on the platform of right for X, Y, or Z reason, which is typically pride. Yes. I just quoted Matthew 6. I don't know where the rest of it is. I'm sorry. Yep. And so I was contemplating this idea of fairness with the same measure. With the same measure you judge, it will be judged unto you. And I just think about this like, you know, how often have I woefully and grossly (laughs) misrepresented the heart of God when I have failed to forgive and love and show kindness to people when they've needed it and I've not delivered. And it just, it broke my heart. I was talking to Casey and Jill last night and Kim, we're in my living room and I'm talking about this stuff and I'm looking at Casey and I've got tears in my eyes and he's got tears in his eyes. And I said, it should cause us to weep to consider the fact that maybe we've misrepresented such a loving, forgiving, patient, and kind God. Like if I have failed to reflect that, if, if somebody looks at me and makes a judgment on the kindness and love of God, and it's because I failed to accurately portray that, like woe is me. Now God is good and he can redeem himself to people's hearts. But he's also in the business of redeeming us. And I want to be an adequate representation of the love of God. I do. And I feel like, man, there are so many people who will never walk through the doors of a church because of the church. Because of the people Now I know there's like this argument against that. It's like, well, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. It's like, well, you shouldn't go to Walmart either because, you know, like. But it's true. And I'm not here to like get upset at other people. I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, am I adequately representing the heart of the Father in all of my relationships? And I know that I'm not. But then I give myself grace as God does, but am I extending that grace to others in their process of being transformed into the likeness to reflect that on others? With the same measure of grace I receive in my time of need, am I giving that same measure of grace? Let me tell you that uh, Jesus was very angry at this mentality, this hypocritical religious Pharisee mentality. He came and he adamantly opposed the religious system that these religious leaders had set up. Um, Matthew 23, 4 says this, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Right? So they put not only the law, which we knew was powerless to save, but they took the law plus expectation of man and the rules and traditions of men. So they compounded burden 
there was an exponential burden on the shoulders of the men and women of Israel of that time. So you have the religious leaders who are then taking what is right because God said it was right and they're weighing it down on people and they're pressing them down, pressing them down. They're oppressing the people with this religious system and they are the people are powerless to live up to that standard and the ones who were pressing them down weren't willing to lift a finger to even help with that burden. Like not only, right, so my expectation is that you be conformed into the likeness of God and you say you have the spirit of God on you and so you should do what the Bible says you need to be doing. And so you just go figure that out because if you can't figure it out, I'm not gonna help you. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. Talk about oppression, right? Talk about a burden. Talk about not being able to live up to that expectation. And Jesus came and he said, you brood of vipers, you den of robbers. And he spoke out adamantly. He was adamantly opposed to that religious way of thinking. And so then he says this to these people, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That would have been offensive to the Pharisees. It would have been highly offensive because it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The Pharisees, the religious order, they were the people who were teaching the people. I'm, the Pharisees are saying, we're the teachers. We're the ones that know the law. Right? We're the one, we're the scribes. We're the one writing this stuff out so generations after generations can know exactly what we have to say about this. Not only what the Lord has said, they had the Torah, but they also had the Talmud, right? Which was their thoughts on the Torah. And they were presenting both of those and putting them on the people, say, okay, here's what God says, and here's what we say about what God says, and I'll go do that. We're the teachers, we're the we're the one that's running the show here. And Jesus comes up and says, Hey. You guys are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me. Let me be your rabbi. Let me teach you. He was basically saying, these guys over here, these Pharisees, you don't want anything to do with them. He says, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because what they say was in accordance to God's word. But what they were doing was not in accordance to God's word. Weaponizing scripture bearing it down on people so that they were crushed when they needed to be loved, forgiven, and cared for like sheep. So Jesus comes and says, I'm the good shepherd, right? And so here's what I began to think about. When I think about all the ways that I've, that I've taken, so let me just say this. To desire for people to live, in, live according to what God says is a good thing because we should want for others what God wants for them. And I think that's key. That's key is distinguishing and discerning between what the Lord desires and what I desire. What is a selfless desire and what is a selfish desire. Because me, I want an ideal world where I'm never annoyed by anything or anybody, where I'm never inconvenienced, where I'm never hurt, where I'm never offended. And I want to try and build that world. Because if I can build that world, I'll be fine. I'll be good. 
but what have I done other than put a set of expectations on those around me who will never live up to it to, and I'm inviting them into my utopia, disregarding what is probably best for them, right? So I want to desire what the Lord wants for others. And that's what I'm talking about with being for them and not against them. So even if, and I've talked about this before, love holds no record of wrong. So even if I'm right and I use that as a platform to try and change somebody's behavior, well, then I'm doing it wrong. They can do what I say, but they should not do what I do. Right? Contractions in the name of the Lord Jesus. Come, baby, come. Baby, baby, come. <laughs> it's fine. So here's the, good, here's the good news. The good news, and we'll shift this. So let me just tell you that all of this thought process is me, like, telling myself, like, I'm using scripture against myself and saying, you need to get your crap straight, Right? But in the same time, the Lord is showing me how he has kindness and grace to bring us to the place where obedience is a fruit and it's not forced. And so if I'm allowing the Lord to give me grace so that he produces fruit of righteousness in me that is in accordance to what his word says, that it's not just reminding me over and over and over and over and over again what I should be doing, but it's the grace to see me through the times where I'm not living up to that expectation and the Lord by his spirit doing the work, lifting a finger, the hand of God active in my life to help move me from where I am to where I need to be. There's always, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, anytime God gives a command, it's always preceded by a relationship. I am the Lord your God, and I have delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh. Therefore, do not have any other gods before me. Right? The relationship always precedes the command and the expectation. Always. And so what am I doing if I'm placing expectations and not even expectations, desires. I want what's best for people. I want you to mature in the Lord. But am I actively involved in that? Am I for you? And, and not only am I for you, but am I proving by my actions and my love and my grace and my kindness and my patience in your life extended towards you in times where you failed to meet expectations? Am I, am I there and am I helping you through it the way that God is helping us? He's our good shepherd, right? And so here's, here's the statement, the phrase that pays. The agent of change is love shown through kindness as exemplified by God. Romans 2, 4, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So ultimately, with desiring or expecting that people act or exist a certain way looking for behavior modification behavior modification wanting them to change right we're essentially desiring repentance to happen in their life you're doing it this way i need you to not do it that way anymore right 
And there's behavior modification. There's a changing of your mind. If you change the way you think about things, it changes the way you act and the way that you behave. But it has to start from the inside, right? We clean the inside of the cup, not just the outside of the cup, Jesus says. We don't just change what we do and how we look. He cares about the heart, and he wants to change us from the inside out. And so God, what he does is he extends kindness, restraint, which he holds back from wrath, and patience. And he extends that to us over and over and over again in process as many times as we freaking need it because we need it a lot, right? Think about how many times you have to correct your kids. And just think about it. How many times you have to point them in the right direction and you, you may get exasperated and say, I don't know if this kid's ever going to get it. What is it going to take in order for this kid to freaking get it? And then like one day, all of a sudden they've got it. And you're like, praise the Lord. Right? But you have to extend grace and love through those times. And it's constant over and over. And there's correction. There's a reminding, right? We always, Kim will say this, Illy, I'm your mother and I love you and I expect good behavior from you, right? Relationship, love, change, right? It just flows naturally from us as parents, right? This is how God gives it to us. And we should be giving it in the same regard. So I wanna say this. God's kindness, his restraint, and his patience is intended to lead us to repentance. And so I said this to myself, Jason, you want people to change? Ask for God's kindness to be poured out on them. And in the same manner, you pour out your kindness. God's kindness, coupled with our kindness that we get from him, he gives us kindness, and it's from the kindness he gives us that we reflect and pour out kindness on others. And so as we agree with God pouring out kindness where they need it to lead them to repentance and we couple our kindness with his, there's power in kindness to change, to lead to repentance. But let me tell you, it's not just you on your own. Number one, your adamant, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you continually, when you take the adversarial position and you continually come against what somebody's doing or saying, they're acting, and there's no kindness or patience or love or restraint. First of all, if restraint was present, you wouldn't attack it that way. You wouldn't approach it that way, right? Let me tell you, God, over and over and over and over and over again through his prophets, continually was reminding them that they needed to turn from their wicked ways, and then he was even setting up consequence. If you don't turn from your ways, here's what I'm going to do. But I... The Lord, your God, and patient with you. He's patient with us. He doesn't desire for any of us to perish. And if we simply repent, so there's wrath that desires to be poured out, but there's this dynamic of patience and love and restraint that's also th this dynamic that is existing. And so God is, he's, he's angry at it, but he's also kind towards it, Right? And so we can be upset about things that, we, that people are doing. It's okay that there's an anger towards that. But just because they're wrong and you're right and you have anger stirring in you doesn't give you a platform or the okay, the green light to be a jerk, to be religious about it, to weaponize scripture, to elevate yourself as better, because 
you are doing this thing and they're not, you have no platform. You have no foot to stand on, right? If anything, if anything, if you're as mature as you think you are, you'll take the stance of kindness and of restraint and of patience because most likely you've received that, that power from the way that God has displayed that in your life. Does that make sense? With the love we've been given, we give. With the grace we've been given, we give. And if you find yourself in a place where it's like, man, it's hard for me to forgive, I would ask yourself, well, have you received God's forgiveness? Do you really understand what that means for you? Because that should be, that's the birthplace for our forgiveness for others is receiving it in the same way that God has given it to us. And so you want people to change, ask for God's kindness to be poured, on the, poured out on them. Oftentimes, I exist so much in a place of wrath that the last thing I want to do is pray for kindness. And so I'm like, God, change them. God, bring them to their knees. Bring conviction. Holy Spirit, convict them right now, you know, in the name of Jesus. And just cut them to the core. And we like praying for this thing to happen. And I just thought, man, what if you just prayed for God's kindness? God, just be kind to them. God, they need your love and your grace so much. And as a matter of fact, as you pour out your kindness on them, God, help me to be kind. And that's going to be a supernatural occurrence because my flesh does not want to bend that way. And so it all goes back to Jesus being the source of all things for us. Jesus knew more than anybody else what it was like to be rejected, offended, to be right. I mean, not just right, not just like this one time right, but... My whole life, I've been right in every way, shape, or form as I've walked the face of this planet, and I've done no wrong thing, yet I've been accused, and I've been convicted, and I've been sentenced, and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, silent, and from his last, one of his last breaths, he said, forgive them, they know not what they do. Sacrificial forgiveness based on zero expectation, having met no expectation, and as a matter of fact, rejecting, completely rejecting him as the source of all life and righteousness and love and mercy and grace. Jesus on the cross looking and saying, I, was, I, I made you. <laughs> I knit you in your mother's womb. Can you imagine the rejection that he felt? looking around at his creation, his beautiful people, his beautiful people. As ugly as people are in their souls and their spirits, they're beautiful because they bear the image of God. And he's looking around, he's saying, gosh, just forgive them. He only had kindness. That's all that existed for them because he knew that the kindness would lead to what he desired for them. He knew that, that he knew that that sacrificial position, that love, and that all that he had for them would be enough to turn their hearts to him. And so he endured the cross, scorning the shame. For the joy set before him endured it. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he calls all men to come and to know him and to be back in that position of relationship with him 
to see him as the source of love and life and light and purpose. And he says, look, just, just let me give you all that you need. And as I give you all that you need, <laughs> you will gain all that you need to give to others to help be an instrument of love and kindness and sanctification in their lives. Right? You will gather, you will get and gain all that you need in order to help other people to come to know me the way that I've invited you to know me. And essentially that's what it is. We're just living, receiving from the Father, and then pouring out what he's given to us. And so I just, I thought, goodness gracious. And so with the same measure, may it be done unto you and may you do it to others. All right, just as we move forward, like, and it's so hard. Let me tell you, it's just so hard. And, and, and yeah, I'm bipolar in this. There's moments where I just, I'm like, God, I understand why you flooded the earth. <laughs> and then I'm like, I understand why people need so much love and grace. And think about this. He comes and he seals us with his spirit. And as we abide in Christ, we learn from him, we grow with him, we receive from him. We exist as the branch. And we receive from the vine all that we need and we bear fruit. What is the fruit that we bear? Love, joy, peace, patience. It's withholding restraint, kindness, gentleness. The fruit of the spirit are these things that we receive from God. The fruit of the Spirit is not deeper understanding of Scripture, right? It's not deeper, like, I know how to use this Scripture in such a way that it's going to, like, change people to live and act a certain way. Do you see what I'm saying? It's His Spirit in us, flowing from us, giving others the same thing that he's given us. The fruit that he produces in our life is to be given away and eaten by others, right? I, I've joked about this in the past many times. Have you ever seen a tree with fruit just bend its branch and start eating its own apple? <laughs> Does a tree bear fruit for its own sustenance? No, it drops the fruit. And people come and they eat in scripture, it says that uh, the church, the trees that are, it, it's in Ezekiel, it's just this beautiful imagery, but it says that there are trees by the riverbanks, and it says that they produce fruit, and their fruit and their leaves are, are food and healing for the nations. That as the church begins to allow the spirit to produce fruit, that the fruit that we give is healing and food for the nations. And what do people need? They need the kindness of God. They need patience. They need restraint. They need partnership in the process. And I said this the other day. So I think that one of the mistakes that we've made is that we've put a blanket expectation on all believers that all people should live up to this. So let's just say I'm, I, I sit down with you, Jason, and you're at a certain point in your walk, and I look at you and I say, Man, like, you really should, at this point in time, as a Christian, Jason, 
man, you, you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Right? Like, and, and then I, I look at somebody else's walk and maybe they're more mature and they're not doing that thing. Well, if I held you to the same expectation I'm holding them to, right? It's like with kids. Some of our kids should know better. We're disappointed when they don't know better. And we try and teach them and help them along. We show grace and kindness and mercy to that situation. But what we've done is we've put blanket expectation on large groups of people. And we've crushed people with guilt and shame so much that they've left because there's no source of life in that. The more that the Lord shows me my ministry and what I'm here to do on earth is that, like, this is powerful but one of the most powerful things that I can do on a daily basis is when I'm with people individually is to meet them where they are and to speak into their lives based on their process and where they are at their level of maturity and their walk and their understanding, right? What it, Dan said it last week, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you know, you've, you've basically set it up for failure. And I think we've, maybe I've done a lot of that, but I see the value and helping people where they are. And everybody needs grace and kindness every single step of the way. And so I just feel like the, the power behind that was just this thought process. It's like, if I want people to act differently or be a certain way, number one, is that a selfish motive or is that God's heart and desire? And if it's God's heart and desire, right? Like if, I, if I'm counseling a couple and you guys are just fighting all the time. And I know that God's heart and desire for your marriage is that you don't fight anymore, right? And then let's just say you keep fighting and month after month after month, I come back to you and it's just still happening. Should I give up on you? Should I get mad because you're not meeting my expectations? You know what I'm saying? Like that God's desire for you is this. Let me partner, let me be for you. And I will commit to extend as much grace and kindness and love as I possibly can during that time. And let me tell you, there's a way to be kind and cutting. The Lord does it with his word, <laughs> right? I mean, there's kindness in it. Again, a surgeon cuts out cancer, not with a butcher knife, but with a scalpel or with a laser because it's very focused and it's, it's very fluid, right? It's very precise. It's very gentle. Liposuction is not that. Have you, have you guys ever seen... <laughs> Video of liposuction, it's pretty bad. But surgery is so precise and it's so kind, it's with care and with ease and with patience. And some surgeries will take 10, 12, 14 hours, right? But they're dedicated to committing, to saying, I'm going to do this the way it needs to be done. So that's all I'm simply presenting today. And just saying to God, God, I want to be kind. Like, I don't want to go around with a chimp on my shoulder. Chimp? Chip? Which one is it? Chip. Like a Lay's potato chip? Chip on my shoulder. Yeah, I knew a guy named Chip. He'd break my shoulder. I'm just saying, Lord, I don't, God, I don't want to be miserable. People continually failing to meet my expectations. It's a miserable life. Can you imagine? And then to like, I mean, what do we expect? What do we want from people? And I just, I need to be done with it. I don't, 
I don't know how to do that other than just say, Lord, you just continue this process in me. I want to love people. I want to be kind. How do I do that? How, how am I kind when there's, there's pain? Right? Consider it all joy when you experience trials of all kinds. I was talking to a couple, and I just said, look, the hope is perfection, right? Like we don't ever, don't ever want to face these kinds of struggles again, but what are you going to do when you face that struggle again? When that situation comes up again, because it will most likely come up again, how will you decide to react and respond differently in that moment? Right? How are you going to walk through that process? How are you going to give kindness where kindness is needed? Right? Because that's the answer. It's the answer. The kindness of God is intended to lead us to repentance. So God is continually kind with us, knowing that as we begin to embrace his kindness, it's going to change something about us. Love is the agent of change. Forgiveness is the agent of change. Kindness, patience, gentleness. That's how the Father deals with us. It's how parents deal with children. And it changes us, it molds us, and it's a process over time. So how can we partner with God in that process in the lives of others? Right? We have to source from Christ. We have to. We have to know that he suffered in the same way. And that from his suffering, he learned obedience. And from our suffering, we'll learn obedience and we'll grow. So, be kind one to another. Do you remember this? What is it? Is that what it is? Yeah. You know, I just... It's so hard. Like, I have these thoughts in my head, and I'm like, but there's a right way to do things, you know? There's a right way. And God wants us to live that way, and the Bible tells us. You know, it's like, the Bible tells us a lot of things, but it's the Spirit of God in us that moves us to live in accordance to what is what is written, right? And so if we just run around telling people, well, the Bible said, well, you really should, well, you know you ought to, and we don't couple that with relationship and love and care and concern and partnership and being of four people in that, like, what what good does it do? Yeah. It's like when you were a kid and you had to write out, um, sentences, you know, I will not punch a girl in her nose. I don't know. I did that once when in second grade, sorry, but you have to write this out like 50 times. Like if you just read it 50 times, then something in you is going to change, right? Like if I just read the scripture over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you know what I mean? Let me just remind myself of what it says. Well, listen to the spirit in you. That's trying to produce the fruit that will bring about obedience to what is written. Partner with the process that God is doing in you. So, anybody have anything to add? Okay. Let's pray. Does that work? We're just going to partner with that. <clears throat> so, Father, there's no doubt that you want to deal with issues in our hearts, God. Maybe some of us are holding on to religion and expectation and we're maybe we've in the name of love and even because the Bible tells us we've we've maybe crushed some people around us. 
God, it's not our intention, but sometimes it's the truth, God. And I just believe there's something you want to teach us about this. There's something that you want to teach us about partnering in that process, partnering with you in the process of others and agreeing with kindness and patience and restraint. And God, as you pour that out on others and you pour that out on us, we can reflect that and pour that out on others. God, that we can partner with you and there's so much power in the partnership of love. If they get love from you, God, and they get love from us, they're inundated with love. And God, all of that's meant to lead people to repentance, to, to change, to, to be different, God. And it's because you want what's best for them, God. You are, you're changing us into the image of your son. We're being conformed, transformed to the likeness of Jesus. And you're taking a, our lifetime to do this, Father, over and over and over again. You're, you're giving us grace and mercy and patience where we need it, God. And I just pray that as we receive that, first of all, God, if there's not, if, if, if someone's here, maybe they just don't really truly understand your patience and your mercy and your grace and your kindness. God, I pray that you just pour that out on them in just a new way, Father. Just blow their mind, Father, with the way that you are so loving and so kind, God. God, we're sometimes we're just hopeless people. Without you, God, we're hopeless. Hopeless to change, hopeless for righteousness. And God, you you look at that depravity and you enter in. You bring yourself into that ugly place and you begin a new work. You bring beauty from ashes. You make beautiful things out of the dust. And so, Father, we thank you. And as we receive that, God, I pray that in in some way, shape, or form, we would weaponize kindness, God, like <laughs> that we would just use that and say, God, I know that that your kindness is intended to bring about repentance, Father. I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be as kind as I possibly can. I'm gonna be so kind, <laughs> but God, you do it over and over and over again. It's it's mind-boggling of just how much you how much patience you show us, God. And so help us just to extend that to others. And God, that we'd be a loving, kind, patient community and, and that we'd not scare people away because of hypocrisy or, or whatever it may be, God, that people would be, they would come in, Father, and they would feel your love and your kindness, not just from you and your spirit, but from your people who bear your image and carry your spirit. And so, Father, I just pray just for true forgiveness God, and, and, and just any roots of bitterness, any unforgiveness, God, anything that's just eating us up on the inside, Father, would you just reach in and would you just, just with precision and with care, would you just cut that out, Father? Just remove it, Lord. We don't want, we don't want to be miserable. We don't want to walk around holding people to expectations they're never going to live up to, God. If you did that to us, where would we be? With the measure we use, it will be used against us, Father. And so God, help us to, to, to change our measure. We want to use your measure. We want to use your measure, Father. And so God, I just, I just want to declare that we agree with your heart of kindness and with your patience and with your gentleness, with your love, Love is patient, it's kind, it's gentle. 
not, it does not anger easily, it doesn't hold a record of wrongs, it doesn't boast, it's not envious. We just want to agree with that love. As it's been given to us, God, just allow it to just flow from us to others and that we might just watch people around us be transformed by your kindness through us, God. And so help us to source from you for that. And I pray that the source here, the source Wichita, God, this body of people would be a source of kindness and patience and gentleness for those who need it in the place where they are in their process. And Father, we'd give up our right to be offended. God, we wouldn't hold on to hurt or anger or bitterness. But everything that you've given us would rise up and conquer the flesh and that we'd live by the Spirit. And so, Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.